What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. I'm Savannah. And I'm Lilith. And this is going to be a really mean episode. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah, we're about to get canceled again. (laughs) Today, we are going to be talking about weight. So specifically being overweight and uh, dating and the issues and challenges that may come with that as well. So I'll be completely raw, open and honest for probably the first time on the podcast and say I've had bariatric surgery myself. I've had uh, what's known as a SASI bypass, S-A-S-I. And that is a new form of gastric bypass surgery. That's basically the gastric sleeve with an added bypass as well. So the added benefit of that is that you sort of get the restriction of the sleeve and the malabsorption of the bypass. So I've had that. And you were out for weeks. Yeah, it was my first like major, major surgery. Like even though I was overweight for a lot of my life, I never been in hospital. Like the last time I was in hospital overnight was when I was born. And you know, I never really went to the doctor. I never really like took any medication. But in the lead up to the surgery, I had to do a lot of that. And that was when I was like, yeah, shit, it's getting real. And I was out for weeks, as Rose said. The anesthesia just really, really, like, I think it was more the anesthetic that did me. And I wasn't in much pain from the surgery, even though it was a major surgery. It wasn't actually that painful, but it was just the recovery. And this is sort of why I would never probably have an operation again unless it was life or death. I just wouldn't, like, willingly put myself through that again. Even though I had a fantastic surgeon, the operation, it went really well. I've had great results from it, but it was, yeah, it took a lot, a lot out of me, I would say. And it's interesting as well in that I might get trolled for this because I was debating with the other ladies if I should say this on the podcast because people might say, oh my gosh, you've had bariatric surgery. (laughs) Ha ha ha, you're lazy. You took the easy way out. And it's like, well, firstly, like I feel very fortunate that I was in a position where I could afford to pay for something uh, like bariatric surgery. I mean, to address a really long and enduring issue for me. I'll be real and say I've struggled with my weight ever since I was a child. And it's something I still struggle with to this day. Like people say that bariatric surgery is the easy way out in quotation marks. And it's like, you know, yes, it makes it, you know, physically easier because you can't eat as much, but the surgery only works on your stomach and your intestines. If you get the bypass, it doesn't work on your brain. So you still have the same cravings. Even now, like I still, if I go to like McDonald's, I will still try and order what I used to be able to eat in one sitting and only have like two bites and I'm full. So I'm currently wasting like tons and tons of food. And even if it was the easy way out, like you wouldn't say to somebody who wears glasses, oh, you should have learned Braille because like you need to suffer because you have this illness or disability. If modern medicine can get you the same result, but with way less effort and way safer and faster, why wouldn't you take that option? Why would you do things the hard way when you can do it the easy way? God. Exactly. I feel like society, it just fetishizes suffering because we believe in the just world idea that if I suffer, then, you know, my victory is going to be sweeter and it's going to mean more. And in general life, like relationships, that doesn't work as we often shout about on this podcast. But even in the terms in the world of weight loss, like the more you diet and exercise, um, the harder it is for your body to lose weight and successfully keep it off. Like one of the reasons why I went for bariatric surgery was because I can lose weight you know fine like that's the easy I guess side of it 
or the more simple side. It's maintaining it that's really hard. It's maintaining it. And bariatric surgery, the long-term outcomes are much better than people who've just done it with traditional diet and exercise. But when I was like shopping or looking into surgery, there was so much almost like hatred towards people, even from within the obese community, that you took the easy way out. You didn't suffer as much as I did. So you're lazy or that, you know, you're not getting up like me to go to the gym at 6am. You're not having to wear out food, even though you still have to do those things to make the most of surgery. And it was always the people I found that couldn't get bariatric surgery that had the most negative things to say about it, which was interesting. It's like the people that already paid off their student loans being like, no, we're not going to support student loan forgiveness because I already paid off my loans and I want you to suffer as much as I did kind of thing. It's like, chill. And it's not even the same because the people that were saying it's a bad idea, they were still very overweight themselves. So it's like, I mean, obviously bariatric surgery is not for everybody. Like you have to really be committed to it. And even if you are, there are some people who's just not going to be a possibility for them for numerous reasons. But I just think If the whole goal of, you know, weight loss, whether you do it through diet and exercise, taping your jaw shut, bariatric surgery or whatever, if the end goal is that you lose weight and you're healthier, it shouldn't matter how you get there as long as you do it in obviously a healthy and sustainable way. But if you have bariatric surgery or do it by traditional diet and exercise, the end result is still the same. And a lot of people don't realise that it's still a major surgery and there is a possibility that you might not wake up as well. I mean, you're not going to, for example, die if you cut 500 calories a day from your diet, from the diet alone, but ultimately it's still a major, major surgery. And there are, even outside of death, there are so many issues that can happen. So my surgeon, he was very transparent and open because he said that the only surgeon that has a 0% you know, complication rate is a surgeon who isn't a surgeon. So he's not doing any surgeries. Like every you know, surgery comes with a risk that you might die. Something can get perforated. I actually developed an abdominal abscess due to the surgeon that had me in hospital for three weeks getting antibiotics via IV, which was quite serious. And I developed sepsis after it as well. You know, so it's serious, serious stuff. So that's my little preamble about And this is definitely not an advert for weight loss surgery. Like if you are considering it, great. If you're not, that's also great. But I just wanted to be transparent. And I think we get a lot of criticism as well on the podcast that we are all girls who don't know what it's like to be unattractive, unwanted, unloved, whatever. And I can say I've definitely been there. I've struggled a lot with my self-image. I still do. And we'll talk about some of those aspects of dating whilst fat in this episode. Okay, so so moving on to the next part. So that dating whilst overweight. I've always said that if you are overweight or even if you deem yourself to be unconventionally attractive, I think your standards should be even higher than people who are deemed conventionally attractive, purely because unfortunately you will attract, attract might be the wrong word, but I'll use it, attract a lot of people who just see you as an easy target and who don't believe that you should have any boundaries or standards whatsoever because you're overweight. And I'm here to tell you, say no to that. I even think it's perfectly valid if you are an overweight woman or even an overweight man to not be attracted to, you know, whichever sex you're attracted to if they're overweight. I think that's totally valid because ultimately attraction isn't always, I mean, ultimately you're attracted to what you're attracted to. And I don't buy this idea that if you're an overweight woman, then you should only go for overweight men. Because as we said in one of the previous episodes, there are some, you know, men who are conventionally attractive, who are slim, who are muscular, who prefer women who are heavier or who don't mind if their woman is heavier as well. So you don't have to just like limit yourself to other people who are overweight just because you think that's all I can get. 
Also, a lot of overweight men are extremely hostile to overweight women. And so even if you are overweight, like just save yourself the psychological trouble. Like there are men who think that overweight women are attractive. So why not just date men who already think you're attractive, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like the media and a lot of society sets it up so that women feel like they can't be with a guy who's not fat or a guy who's fit because there's so much shaming that goes on in person, but also online when you see a woman who's overweight with a guy and even women who weren't overweight previously, but maybe had a baby and gained weight, they're always doing like the weight loss watch or like the snapback watch, trying to make sure these women are trying to see how quickly these women are able to lose the weight so that they're quote unquote still worthy of the guy that they're dating, which is really, really toxic and is perpetuated a lot by like celebrity culture. The idea that like every woman just after she has a baby, she doesn't snap back immediately is somehow like letting down her significant other. Yeah, exactly. And again, a lot of these celebrities who supposedly snap back, a lot of them, that's why you don't see them during their pregnancy or like for months after. A lot of them get gastric bypasses and sleeves to lose it, you know, to help them shift the weight as well. They have access to all sorts of, I don't know, I guess like help to help them to lose the weight as well. So yeah, I completely agree that liposuction there's like the mommy makeover that a lot of them get which is like lipo and all this other stuff and that's and that particular narrative is just yeah it's just so damaging and harmful as well but i do believe as well but if you are fat and you are looking to date it's just so important for that reason to work on your body image i know it is a lot easier said than done because the way society treats fat people is quite frankly horrific especially fat women i feel like fat men don't get enough criticism fat men (laughs) but fat women so i was just you know telling the ladies beforehand that the number one candidate for bariatric surgery is a woman who has a bmi of 40 so that's about 100 pounds overweight so if you think about it just like in a similar vein to how the plastic surgery industry is primarily marketed towards women it's the same with something like weight loss surgery as well women are more likely to have it done than men which just goes to show that you know the way in which society treats fat women if they are i guess willing to resort to such a drastic measure to lose weight and a bmi of 40 i'm not saying it's like super slim but it's also not like it's not death fat (laughs) sorry (laughs) Where are we going there now? It's not super obese either. It's not super obese either. So I think I just thought that was quite interesting. You can see the difference between the way that men and women are treated when they become overweight in the media as well. When men become overweight, they call it a dad bod and say, oh, look at him. He's such a like devoted doting father. Even if he has no kids, even if he has no kids, they get a dad bod. I see men who were 21 saying, I've got a dad bod. I was like, you don't have kids. But even if they have kids, they always like make it seem like the extra weight is a feature of them being an involved parent, whether or not that's true, right? Or like, oh, he's like such an involved parent. But like for women, it's never, it's always like, she let herself go. She's stressed out. Oh, she's fat. Yeah, she's fat versus like a lot of women who are, let's be real, doing most of the caretaking anyways, and also had to push out the kid. They have a lot more of an excuse to put on a little bit of weight because of the fact that, yes, they're going to be spending a lot more time caretaking children, as well as like dealing with the hormonal and physical fluctuations of post-pregnancy. But like the men just get fat for no reason. They're just like lazy, right? It doesn't really make sense that like the narrative is always like, 
look how cute this dad bod is for this guy. And then like, you know, People Magazine are right. He's such a devoted dad right now. He doesn't have time to be in the gym. But then when it comes to women, it's like, when is she going to lose the weight? You know, and then it's like, they'll show a close up of their partner. You know, they'll show a close up of the partner saying like, oh, he's threatening to leave if she doesn't lose the weight, whether or not that's true or not. You know, that's kind of thing is it's just covert media sex or actually even covert, overt media sexism. Like, do you remember in like 2009 when Jessica Simpson wore like high waisted jeans and everyone like fucking destroyed her and she like disappeared from the public for six months after that because of the body shaming was so severe? She was a size four at the time. Okay. She wasn't even that overweight. She wasn't overweight, actually. She was actually a completely like average, normal looking woman. You know, the captions and the bullying that she got was so extreme, right? Whereas like people like Seth Rogen are allowed to have a career. So it's like, what the fuck? Like, you know, there's huge double standards in media. You know, people think I'm a horrible person and that I have double standards because I'm like nice to fat women, but mean to fat men. And it's like, somebody's got to be there to out their balance score, okay? There's like an unequal balance sheet here. We got to even those numbers, right? Got to get those. We got to increase the cyberbullying for men and decrease the cyberbullying for women. <laughs> That's equality, bitch. To be honest, like the most famous fat positive man is Jared from Subway and he turned out to be a pedophile. Oh, yeah. I don't know if there's any positive fat role models that like every time we try to make one for men in the media, it's just, I don't know what my point was doesn't turn out well yeah it doesn't turn out well i just wanted to say that i don't know what my point was about that i just wanted to say that out loud that like (laughs) (laughs) all the men's fat positive role models there's something wrong with them but actually i guess he wasn't even fat positive because he lost the weight huh yeah he lost yeah he's not really a fat positive role model i guess because he lost the weight eating subways though is not the most health i mean going back to my point about body image is that I used to not really buy into the whole fat phobia idea because I thought it was a term, you know, coined by fat activists who were trying to shut down, you know, discussions around the health implications of being overweight. Yeah, I'm not going to get too much on my soapbox here, but there can be health implications of being overweight and that is important to discuss. However, the reason why I say, you know, fat phobia is a thing is that society makes it so that especially if you're a woman, that being fat is the worst thing that a woman can be when that's absolutely not true. And so, yeah, trying to build a a positive body image, you know, when you're overweight, it can be really, really tough. And especially if you aren't even overweight, but you're bigger than your peers. Like this happened to me in school where I was, I was like a size 10, a UK size 10, which was really small. But all of my peers, they were like a size I guess like a four to six. And I remember just having like severe body dysmorphia. Even at a UK size 10, I was constantly on like a liquid diet, like the Cambridge diet, because I just wanted to lose my weight to be smaller. And so that can set in as well. And it was weird in the sense that I guess for me, even though Instagram has sort of gone downhill over the years, I think, but my saving grace to some extent was actually Instagram and being able to follow women who had a similar body type to me who carried the weight in the same places. And I think that was um, extremely positive, like for me personally, and also not trying to wear clothes that a slimmer like woman would wear because it just wouldn't work. And I see sometimes a discourse in places where women are overweight is that, you know, why can't I wear what a slim woman wears? I'm just like, because it won't always look nice. In a similar vein to, there are some things that a woman who has perhaps a smaller chest she wouldn't be able to get away with, you know, wearing a particular, you know, top or a dress in the same way as a woman 
in the same way as a woman with a bigger chest would, if you see what I mean. It's like, oh, I'm a size 8 for my shoes. Why can't I wear the shoes that the size 4 women wear or some shit? I don't know. Or, like, that's, like, children's size, actually. So, like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm an adult woman. Why can't I wear children's shoes? It's, like, it's just not your size. Like, it's just not going to fit. Like, it's just not going to look good. And even if it is your size, so even if they say, if they scaled up the dress uh, for women who were a size four to fit women who are a size 18, for example, it's things like the cut, it's things like where it sits. It may not be the same because it's being worn on a bigger body and that's okay. I think that especially plus size fashion, it's like come a really, really long way. I'd say within the past 10 years, really, because before all you could get was like the floral patterns and black and white, but they're really diversifying now, which makes it easier to find clothes that make you feel good and that fit you as well. And that's also like another thing as well is that we see a lot of people or like I came across a lot of women who were saying, I'm not going to wear this until I've lost X amount of weight, which is fine. If, you know, looking a certain way or fitting into a certain aesthetic, is a weight loss goal for you, that's absolutely fine. But that doesn't mean that you can't dress well for your body as it is at the moment. And it doesn't mean that you can't look nice as well. So yeah, that was just my brief spiel about body image. I think that's interesting because that's something I never, I didn't think about because I remember the only, growing up, the only like alternative store for overweight people was like Lane Bryant or Torrid. Torrid's expensive, even now. Like, I look at the price, I'm just like, if you're in the US, I don't know where you get E plus those ladies get your clothes on because Torrid seems really expensive, like super expensive. I mean, I'm lucky that, you know, I can use things like ASOS, Pretty Little Thing, and be kitted out nicely, but I don't know about the US. Like, Torrid just seems like, and Fashion Nova seems like a lot of money as well. I mean, I don't know how they price it here in the States versus how they price it in the UK. It's the same because we don't really have it. And if you want fashion over here, you ship it from there. So you pay the same price, pretty much. Honestly, most of their stuff just looks like Express, but for made for plus size people. So it's like, it's about the same price as that kind of stuff without the discount. I'm looking at this like a, a shirt dress is about 60 bucks. That's about right. So that seems like a lot for the UK, but in the US that's about standard for like semi-professional or semi business casual fast fashion yeah yeah because that's about how much it would be on like the express or taylor websites because in the uk you can get that same dress for like 20 to 30 quid tops that's wild like well i hope anyway that plus size fashion becomes more accessible for my ladies in the us basically (laughs) financially accessible (laughs) as well i think in the states don't they mostly just like go to walmart get like the quadruple x like i don't know beige like the plus size fashion is not good it's like a floral print like burlap sack that they just you know to obscure their nudity i mean there's so many options now for plus size people in the states as far as clothing i mean the the clothes i'm looking at these they actually don't look that much more expensive than what it would be in a standard size store at least not in the states so maybe it's like more of a premium in the uk and then i mean yeah for working class people i remember when like people of walmart was a really popular website and blog. And it was just pictures of like, over. it was generally like overweight or people that are dressed pretty crazy at Walmart. But yeah, that, that's mostly for like working class people who probably wear a uniform to work and then dress casual at home. But for people that have professional jobs that larger size than they would shop it toward Lane Bryant, etc. But yeah, that's also my tip as well. And I think Instagram 
at least for me, it was a great way to find the styles that would work for me as well. And if I like a lot of plus size influencers are actually really approachable and friendly. So if I saw something I liked on them, I'd be like, where'd you get it from? And they'd happily tell me, then I'd go and buy it. (laughs) So, so that's quite, I suppose that's quite a nice thing to have too. And I guess on the topic of, you know, dating whilst overweight, you also, I think if you want to keep your sanity, so to speak, you have to get to a point where you are not concerned if your weight is a barrier to a man liking you, i.e. that you don't automatically assume or think that a man is rejecting you because you're fat. Like, in some cases that might be the case, but in other cases it's not. And I feel like in within the community there is such risk because, you know, people that are so conscious about their weight, which is understandable, they just assume that every rejection is because of their weight. And that's not always the case. You know, people who are slim, conventionally attractive, they still get rejected by men as well. And you sort of, you know, your weight is, I guess, a part of you. And I guess if you just keep on thinking, they're not going to like me because I'm fat or they rejected me because I'm fat, you will quickly burn out in the dating world. You sort of have to get yourself to a point where you just present yourself authentically. And if it doesn't work out, you're just able to say, okay, that didn't work out onto the next sort of thing. Because like Lilith and I have said, there are plenty of men who will either prefer bigger women or who won't mind if you're bigger. Like, you know, not every guy is like, I'm not going to date you because you're fat. Can we talk about those guys though, actually? It's <laughs> like, some of them are sketchy though. Even the guys that are into overweight women, like... Yeah, some of them can be. That's a good point, actually. That's actually reminded me of something in that. When I was going through the process of getting bariatric surgery, one of the things that they said was that... Be careful about guys with feeder fetishes. (laughs) Yeah, that. And also that the divorce and relationship breakdown rate after bariatric surgery is really, really high, much higher than the general population. And that tends to be because when the person is losing weight, the non-losing partner, they might feel threatened or the losing partner might realize that their partner was a barrier to them losing weight. So I saw it a lot of times in the forums I was in where a woman wanted to get bariatric surgery, but her husband was actively against it. The official reason in quotation marks was, oh, we can't afford it. Oh, it's dangerous. But I definitely believe in some of those cases, the husband just didn't want the wife to be slim because he would feel threatened. I've dated some of these guys where they specifically wanted to fatten me up. And like, it's complicated because like, on the one hand, I love like when guys buy me food, right? Have I said, have I talked about this? How like, yeah, when a guy like buys me food, it's like in my brain, it's like Neanderthal brain being like, yeah, he's going to go like hunt me a deer or something. I don't know. It's just like kind of sexy. Like I like when a guy buys me food, right? You know, I'm not financially reliant on a man, but when a guy buys me food, it turns me on. Like, but I don't like the guys that take it too far, right? Some of them are just like, they take it too far. It's like, if I say, place any kind of limitations or boundaries, like, oh, let's try to get something healthy or whatever, they'll like give me a face. Or, you know, if I try to be healthy, they try to sabotage that. Or, you know, like, it just feels like, yeah, it's a fetish, like the feeder fetish. They want me to be so fat that I can't even move. And it's like, I'm not going to let this scrote win. Like, no. And that's actually like, you see that on shows like My 600 Pound Life as well, where it's clear that the non-losing partner has a vested interest in making sure that their partner remains... Essentially disabled, like, and reliant on them. 
extremely obese yeah and that's really really dangerous and quite sad actually like low-key abusive honestly and it isn't even just your partners as well is that when you begin a weight loss journey you find that even your friends and family they can be unknown saboteurs so a common one is oh just a single bite won't hurt or I've made you all this food and it's just like I can't really eat a lot and you know this so it's like so yeah you do find that as well unfortunately This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Athletic Greens. If you're like me and you're too lazy to eat a salad every day, taking AG1 by Athletic Greens will get you the same benefit, but you don't have to wash or chop any veggies. I started taking AG1 because I wanted to ensure that I was getting a daily nutritional drink, providing a number of health benefits, such as an optimized immune system, increased energy, and better gut health. I drink my AG1 every morning after the gym and AG1 is my daily habit that makes it easy to absorb key nutrients, lead a healthy lifestyle and feel my best no matter what the day holds. One scoop of AG1 and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right. Add AG1 to your daily routine as a micro habit to make it easy to absorb key nutrients, lead a healthy lifestyle and feel your best every day, no matter what the day holds. One scoop, one minute, once a day, every day. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase of AG1. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash FDS. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash FDS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So another angle I don't know that we've explored is that a lot of men who are, quote, down on their luck will use overweight women as a way for them to get back on their feet. It's actually such a huge phenomenon that it's actually a meme in a lot of circles, especially among like formerly incarcerated, formerly incarcerated men and like specifically fat white women. Like, and they've explicitly said that a lot of times they try to befriend like fat women while they're on the inside so that they have a place to stay when they get out because these women are basically low self-esteem low self-esteem right that's another reason to increase your self-esteem because then you'll fall prey to these fucking predators like god and it's so true like but there's a really popular i'm not going to say the name but there's a really popular youtube channel that has the exact dynamic that Roe just described. So we'll cut it out, but who is it? I think it's called Life by Jen. And Foodie Beauty, the Canadian, also did one as well. Foodie Beauty is hilarious. Her voice reminds me of you, Lilith, because she's Canadian. Uh, so Foodie Beauty was in a relationship, quotation marks, with this African immigrant. And she always used to do mukbangs and he always used to look like he didn't want to be there. And they split up a while ago. And Life by Jen, she is a super morbidly obese. So she's like well over 500 pounds. And she's with this ex-criminal who I think he's a recovering alcoholic. And they just have a YouTube channel where they document their relationship. And I just think it's exactly like the dynamic that Ro described. Yeah. So then if you start to lose weight in that type of dynamic, then the guy looks at his gravy chain drying up, right? So that's why they're going to try to keep you fat. I mean, literally, yeah. Literal gravy train. <laughs> Literal His gravy. gravy waterfall is driving Okay. Uh, <laughs> the type of men that deliberately seek out overweight women are generally looking for women that they can be dependent on. I mean, they know this. And in fact, I've heard this out of men's mouths that they think that overweight women will like obviously cook for them, take care of them. They won't demand much and they'll let them stay in their house when they don't have, especially for former inmates who can't necessarily get 
a apartment. A lot of them, if you have a felony conviction, it's hard to get an apartment and a bunch of other services. Like they know all I gotta do is find a fat woman and then she'll take care of all that stuff for me. So like fat women are like their uh, lifestyle security plan. Well, not just that, but also like the ones with the feeder fetish. It's like what you're describing is where the man is dependent on the woman. But what I've seen or what I've experienced or like men attempting to experience with me is like where they want me to be dependent on them. Like they don't like the attention that I get from other guys. They want me to be fat so that I'm not getting as much attention or that I'm like, I don't know. Some guys have this like idea like, oh, if like my girlfriend is too pretty, then she's going to like leave me. Or I don't know. They just like the idea of like me being reliant on them and not just like physically but like emotionally as well like they want like you know oh my girlfriend like you know loves me and like wouldn't even look at another guy and like how do I say this like they want the idea of like me not being able to get with another guy and like me being solely like emotionally reliant on them and it's kind of messed up the guys that are into overweight women for nefarious reasons ladies avoid them but if it's just a preference then that's not so bad and sometimes it's not even a preference they just don't really mind it in the sense that It might not be their first choice aesthetically, but as they get to know you, I don't know, they might just, you know, see you as a whole person. Maybe, I don't know. I think with men, it's like looks first, personality second. Yeah, I think men tend to like be into it or not. Yeah, if they're into it or not. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah, because especially with like, I think in general, the guys that are into fat women, I think most men are actually much more flexible when it comes to weight than society lets on and that them policing women's weight. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like women, the the extent that they're trying to police women's weight and like create a political issue is because they're just trying to force women's sexual compliance. And it's not to say that like every man prefers, every man doesn't have a preference or a preference for women who, it's not to say that a lot of men don't have a preference either way, but it just that I don't think that in real life, men are as strict about weight requirements as they would have you think based on like the perpetually online weirdos who never actually get women in life and just spend all time screeching about having to look at overweight women. And you sort of know this when a guy says, I don't want to date a woman over 150 pounds, or as actually most women that they come across are over 150 pounds, they just don't look it. It's the same even now, there was a TikTok that I saw of women who were over 200 pounds. And just looking at them, you would never guess, you would maybe guess they're about 70 pounds lighter. So like weight isn't just a number, it's also about like distribution, you know, muscle to fat ratio. And I will say that if you're sort of, you know, like myself, where I have a smaller waist, I carry it quite evenly. It goes to my boobs and my bum. You are at an advantage as a woman over if you're like apple shaped and you carry it all in your stomach. Because there are people who weigh less than me who look heavier than me for that reason. And I'm above average in height as well. I mean, so there's just so many variables as opposed to just a number, if that makes sense. A lot of it to me has to do with lifestyle as well. And there's a difference between a person who's like overweight, but otherwise there's no type of physical limitations caused by their obesity. And then there's people that are so obese that they become like, you know, like you can't go anywhere because they can't like keep up with everybody else in the group. People that are actually like physically debilitated because of their weight. And sometimes they can be the exact same size, but one person maybe has like more muscle tone, the exact same weight at least, like, but one person has more muscle tone and they just like carry their distribution a different way. And such that like, it's not actually a big deal that they weigh more versus like sometimes people who are like, they're just not fit in any type of capacity, which might be a hindrance to people hanging out with them, including someone they're potentially dating. 
I did find that a lot as well when I was bigger. Like when I used to go to like the gym for like a class, like I found the instructors would just like be like, I guess like mansplaining. It was always men. It was never women instructors. But they'll be like mansplaining to me like how to do a squat. And then when they were like, okay, that like, go do your squat now, I would do it and I'd go like lower than them and my technique would be much better. And they were like, wow, your hip mobility is really good. And I was like, yeah. So they would just assume that oh yeah, the fatty can't squat. Have you seen Jack Black doing a squat? Like I saw a video of Jack Black exercising recently and I was like, damn, this guy's like a very portly man, but he's got a filthy deep squat for a guy that size. Like honestly, good for him. Like, But people just would just be so shocked. His dancing is just amazing, actually. It's actually funny. And, but he's, a, he's an example of a person who's obese, but also like extremely mobile, extremely like athletic in some respects so that anybody hanging out with him, it's not like, okay, we can't go anywhere or we can't do anything because this person's not going to have the energy to do it. I think a lot of the aversion sometimes to dating overweight people is not even necessarily the aesthetic because some people, once again, like the like the overweight, but like thicker people. It's just a matter of like, okay, is this person going to be able to keep up with me? Yeah, like there are some overweight people that are like secretly really strong, especially women. Like I was like this. I mean, I was like, when I was like 40 pounds heavier, you know, people just thought I was like a normal, like slightly chubby girl. But actually I've been like weightlifting for like 10 years. And so I'm like underneath that, I'm actually like crazy strong. And so there's so many times where like, yeah, people just don't assume that I could lift something or don't assume that I couldn't do something. And I just like did it. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, you always underestimate the slightly chubby girls, but you know, we're secretly like, Honestly, like just when you look at like the overweight people who still walk everywhere and still go places and stuff, you know, they're not in like a wheelchair or anything like that. Those people are often like crazy strong because imagine like just having to carry around all that extra weight. Like you're actually making your muscles underneath way stronger. Like just every step you take is a farmer's walk, literally. So that's like more exercise. It's like resistance. Just going for a walk is resistance training, right? They're a lot stronger underneath and, you know, honestly good for them. I kind of respect that actually. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so that was just talking about dating whilst overweight. And, you know, unfortunately, if you are overweight, you are going to get shitty people. Online dating may not be your best friend for this reason. And it just, you know, might be more fruitful to meet people offline. I found that people can be really friendly in gyms. I used to think I'd be judged when I went to a gym. But actually, when I found the right gyms to go to, they were honestly like the best people. They were like my biggest cheerleaders. And they really shifted my focus from exercising to lose weight and exercising to feel better and for performance. And I think that the latter is more, is a healthier mindset to have because realistically exercise, especially if you're weightlifting, it doesn't burn as many calories as you think. And if you don't get the numbers correct, so to speak, you can end up really fucking yourself over if you are exercising in the gym, thinking that you burned 600 calories and it was 200 and then you eat those calories back. Uh, But what I would or like what my personal trainers or the people around the gym would be doing was what they would be uh, focusing on instead of weight loss was performance. So increasing your, uh, the amount you can deadlift or the amount you can squat or the distance you can run. And that's a lot more fun than just trying to, I guess, exercise your way into being slim because it's just not going to work. Yeah. I think physical mobility regardless of your weight is something that is so, so, so important for like your long-term health as well as like your ability to feel good about yourself. Part of it, I actually gained, I was actually the biggest I've ever been because I got COVID and 
I couldn't taste or smell anything. And then when I did was able to taste and smell everything, the only thing that tasted good was like breads and starches because like anything organic, like meats, fruits, vegetables tasted like rotting garbage in my mouth and would make me want to throw up. So I was eating really terribly and then unable to work out on top of it because the COVID recovery actually took me months. I've read that it's because of like blood clots and everything that can happen when you get COVID that like I, I would get randomly fatigued. I couldn't run as fast as I used to like prior to catching COVID. I couldn't like exercise for as long. And like sometimes it was actually a struggle to just get out of bed for long periods of time that I'd be like standing at my sink and just like suddenly be completely out of breath. Like I just ran an, you know, an hour. So I was experiencing like a lot of post COVID symptoms for months and months and months. And so because of that, like, I gained like a lot of weight. And then the thing about gaining weight in that capacity, especially if you're like physically debilitated, like the physical debilitation of that was like so much more depressing to me than the actual fat. Like like just being unable to like physically move myself and like not having the same kind of mobility because then you're like, you don't want to go anywhere, right? You're like, you're feeling like more and more like depressed. You're feeling more and more like isolated and you're feeling more and more like, okay, I don't even want to engage with people because I know I don't even have the energy to sustain it. So I'm like, if this is like where you're at in your fitness journey, regardless of like where you are as far as your weight, I feel like just investing and trying to little by little, like really increase your mobility, whether or not you focus on weight loss, like it'll just... It just makes your quality of life so much better because you don't feel, yeah. So I don't want to like always parrot like the weight loss, you know, healthy weight at every size. Cause we know that like, obviously like a lot of excess body fat is bad for you. But like, I think the messaging should be somewhere around the idea that like, yes, like if you're overweight, but like still mobile, you can still have a really, really good quality of life. Right. And that like focusing on like fitness, even if you're overweight, focusing on something to make sure that you're able to just like participate is worth investing in and worth talking about, even if like you never get to be like a size, you know, two or four. And that was one of the biggest, or that was one of the first changes that I saw after my weight loss surgery is that it was just so much easier to move around, like even to walk, even to do a spin class. Like I just couldn't believe just how much easier it was. And it also made me realize how people, you know, get to like 600 pounds in the sense that people who are bigger, they will burn more calories doing any activity because they are carrying more weight around. But because like Rose said, the weight eventually it gets to a point where it becomes painful to move around. It becomes more difficult. You, you it just becomes more tired. You do less of it. And then if your calories are even remaining the same, that's how your weight starts to creep up. So that was definitely one of the first things that I noticed that my flexibility improved. My, you know, my stamina and endurance improved as well, just by carrying around less weight. And that was really cool. So even before I saw like the physical changes, that was one of the, as in like in the mirror changes, that was one of the first physical changes that I noticed was that, you know, wow, I walked five miles and I'm not out of breath sort of thing. Yeah, you feel like you get your life back. And I mean, new research as far as like how COVID is affecting people long term is coming out like every week practically. But there was like a time where I know I was questioning myself, like, am I ever going to be the same person physically or mentally? Because between the virus and then like the after effects of like trying to you basically in like slow rehab, right? Like trying to like get yourself to a point where you can just do like everyday activities. I think it's just important to like focus yourself on the idea that taking care of your health, regardless of what size you are, is going to be a long-term investment that's going to pay off dividends. Um, And then like not get discouraged because you feel like, okay, I'm not going to be skinny and like no one's going to like me because I do feel like it's easy to really, really spiral if you don't know what's going on with your body and you can't trust your body, right? So like I think a lot of times with overweight people, if that's their experience and it's like 
similar to my experience of gaining weight while recovering from COVID is that like you do get to a point. Yeah, you you feel like you can't trust your body and that like making any type of like effort starts to feel like exhausting. It's almost like you have to just start small and then train your brain to think of your weight loss journey or your uh, mobility journey as a way for you to actually keep participating in life and feel like a person who has people around that value. And obviously, people who are really overweight, I know there's a lot of times trauma behind it that some people who are overweight, it's because, you know, they've experienced abuse or particularly sexual abuse. I think I read a lot of like extremely obese people that it's uh, food addiction is a common coping mechanism for people who suffer, who've had sexual abuse. Like sometimes it's a manifestation of like a really terrible environment where you don't value yourself because nobody else around you values you. And that's where like the mental health aspect of being overweight needs to be handled as well as like your physical health, because then you won't be able to date if you're like in a place where everything's toxic and it's causing you to self-medicate by overeating. And I think off the back of what Rose said, a society in general Uh, We need to reframe how we think about obesity. At the moment, obesity is seen as a personal moral failing when actually, as my surgeon put it quite bluntly, it's a disease and there's no, and there's no cure for it. Uh, Bariatric surgery is not a cure for it because plenty of people, you know, gain the weight back and more and even diet and exercise. It's not even the physical part of losing weight that's hard. It's the mental battle. And, you know, that isn't something that can be overcome with the general weight loss advice that is eat less and move more. There are so many in, yeah, there's so many social factors to being overweight, possibly genetic factors as well. And I just think that we just need to see it as a disease that there is no cure for because that's ultimately what it is. Even my surgeon described it as, you know, when you have the weight loss surgery and you're at a stable weight 24 months post-surgery, it's in remission. And when in medical terms, when they say in remission, it means it can come back. Like, you know, you might get to the size you were again. And I just feel like, you know, food addiction, which if you are overweight to the point where you need surgery, or if you're overweight, you most likely have an eating disorder. And I will say that about myself. I'll say that because you don't get to, to, I don't know, to two, three, four hundred, six hundred pounds having a healthy relationship with food. You just don't, you know, so there's disordered eating somewhere. But the way we see a food addiction is very, is very, very different to how we see somebody who is alcohol dependent, for example. So people who are alcohol dependent generally get more sympathy than people with food addiction. You need food to live, but you don't need alcohol to live. Exactly. You don't need alcohol. You can live your whole life without ever touching a drop of alcohol or drugs or tobacco and you'll be just fine. In fact, you'll probably be in better nick than people who even recreationally in quotation marks take those things. But you can't just not eat again. And it was interesting because after my surgery, I realized how much of our socializing now is centered around food. So, oh, let's go out for drinks. Let's go out for a meal. Let's meet up for lunch. And I noticed that because it was then that I realized I can't eat at these places anymore because I'm too full. Or if I order something, I'll have to leave like most of it. And so it's not really a surprise that as we've become more sedentary, as we've become, you know, I suppose as we've begun to center our entertainments and gatherings, even our major holidays, Thanksgiving, you know, Christmas, Easter, even Halloween is all centered around food. It's not surprising that the obesity rate is creeping up every year. But then we situate that problem within the individual saying you're not trying hard enough. You need to work on your mindset and all that, completely ignoring all the social factors and pressures that almost encourage us to be, you know, to be idle and to eat more, essentially. And all the crap in our food. American food is so full of toxic crap. 
Well, I mean, American food. I mean, yeah, to be fair, Britain is not as bad. But yeah, American food is, yeah. I just saw a TikTok video of garbage-fed pigs, and it's just put me off pork completely. Like, I love my bacon. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan. I love bacon. Oh, don't say that. I love pork ribs. (laughs) I don't know how they feed them in the UK, but they quite literally were giving these pigs whole packaged, like, Twinkies, like, box and all. And just grinding it up into a paste. What? Yeah. And this is why we're all full of microplastics, etc. Oh my God. There's a lot of really toxic things in the American food supply chain. I mean, there's there's pesticides, etc. that are supposed to be safe. But like, you know, they find out later after the fact when people start getting sick that, oh, okay, maybe in certain quantities, it's actually giving people cancer. Like there's a lot of things that are contributing to that's contributing to obesity in the United States. Um, even if you do try to eat like healthy, so to speak, first of all, our very uh, car centric culture and our car centric planning for all our cities. So you have to get places using the car. And that's the reason why people say like, who come from the US and like, you know, come to Europe, they say they lose weight so quickly because you walk everywhere in most cities. You just walk everywhere. Right. And then two is food deserts, meaning that there are places where you can't get fresh produce, where everything that you get comes out of a bodega or a corner store, which is almost entirely prepackaged foods. Remember that white guy who went viral because he was criticizing the bodegas and like everyone was like, he was like, where's the Whole Foods? Where's the Kroger's? <laughs> and they're like, welcome to food deserts. Welcome to New York kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It has to do with them not having access to those types of foods because of generally because of poverty and a lot of major grocery store chains, not especially in like inner cities, like the major grocery store chains. They don't think it's worth it if they don't have like a certain square footage. And then if it's a dangerous neighborhood is the other issue too. If like if you're actually in a neighborhood that is there's a high rate of stealing. Sometimes the grocery stores will pull out of there. So, you know, things like community gardens have tried to spring up to take its place because of the fact that you you literally cannot get fresh produce in some places. Yeah. And the third reason is uh, even if you are eating like a healthy food, so to speak, it could be full of like pesticides and stuff like that, that makes your body react in weird hormonal ways that there's now just trying to figure out. So, <laughs> so I actually do think that there's something wrong with the food in North America and not just, and I include Canada in this as well, because Canada's food safety laws are unfortunately like, they're more strict than the States, but they're not as strict as Europe. You know, when I was living in Europe, I was losing weight without even trying. Like I was just eating normally, you know, same amount of food. I wasn't even eating healthy. I was still like partying and like drinking probably several times a week, but I was still losing weight. Like I couldn't explain it. I was like, how is it possible? I'm barely even trying to lose weight and I'm still losing weight. And then I come back to Canada and it's like immediately start gaining weight again. Or, you know, if in order to not gain weight, I have to try really hard to not gain weight, you know, and consciously diet. It's crazy. So what I think actually, besides the toxic crop in our food, is that a lot of it is nutrient deficiency in the soil. And this is something that a lot of food companies have been aware for quite some time. So like every time you grow something out of a plot of land, you strip that land of its nutrients, right? So generally, they try to like rotate the soil that they plant on to allow the nutrient content of the soil to like build back up over a certain amount of times. But like that time frame gets shorter and shorter when they're trying to mass produce. So I just think that probably our food is just less nutritionally dense, probably has less nutrients per like whatever gram. Like it has fewer micronutrients, but in terms of macronutrients like sugar or, you know, carbs and fat, it's very high in those micronutrients, but or it's macronutrients, pardon me. So yeah, it's like empty calories. 
Exactly. So I think a lot of it's because our, even our produce probably has, and not even probably, definitely has, like the nutritional content of like a banana today is a fraction of what it would have been like 40 years ago because of like the nutrient content of the soil being depleted. And it's just like another side effect of one, global warming, two, overgrowing, over, you know, forestation. Or just like commercial farming practices. Yeah, commercial farming. You know, a lot of French agriculture is still actually very traditional and small scale. American agriculture is like agribusiness and it's all about like, yeah, maximizing profit, reducing overhead. You know, they don't get paid by, you know, the flavor of the tomato or the nutritiousness of the tomato. They get paid by, you know, they want tomatoes that are shippable, you know, can stay on the grocery store shelf for a long time without going bad and stuff. They don't really, you know, factors like flavor, quality or nutrition are not part of that business model. Yeah. So Google soil depletion and you can see a bunch of articles about like why our food, even the healthy food is way less nutritious than the food that you end up having to eat more of it just to have the same amount of nutrient content that they might've had 40 years ago, which contributes to obesity. Because if I have to eat three bananas to get the same nutrient profile as people used to have to get one banana, then, you know, to feel satiated because your body needs the nutrients. So like you're going to keep eating it till you get nutrients. So that's also obesity, contributing to obesity. Take a multivitamin like Athletic Greens. Yeah. All the bananas come from South America, from the banana republics that the states created. So, I mean. And I just want to quickly, and so to quickly touch on a final point as well, in terms of, you know, one aspect of the aftermath of my surgery and subsequent weight loss is that the attention from men at large is still screwy. I will admit that there's like more of it so men do more I guess like wild things to get my attention slash number but generally speaking it's still like low quality on mass so I can empathize with women who feel invisible because they think they're unconventionally attractive or they're overweight or whatever I empathize with that because that's not a nice feeling either but becoming I guess, you know, closer to being conventionally attractive is not all of a sudden going to make a decent man materialize. That's just not how it works. You get more attention, but all of it or like most of it will still be low quality and low effort. So that was a bit of a personal ramble, but it's nice to get it off my chest. So yeah, let us know your thoughts on that in the Discord or the comments or wherever you're watching or listening to this episode or on our website thefemaledatingstrategy.com forward slash forum with a popping forum yes so that's our show check us out on the website we just mentioned also on twitter at femdatstrat also on instagram at underscore the female dating strategy and if you enjoy the show please support our patreon where we have bonus content on a weekly basis as well as a discord you can chat with us and you can submit a question for our roast to scrote queen shit etc so uh, that's patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. Thanks for listening, queens. And for all you scrotes out there, weeble wobble, but you don't fall down. What? <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> okay. See you next week. <laughs> Random, but okay. See you next week. Bye.